As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So excited you're tuning into this episode. It's a unique one. It's another roundtable discussion that I have with my Dose of Leadership University members and the one and only Jim Kuzes. Uh, Jim is just so outstanding. He is a true treat, a true gem. He's actually the first guest that agreed to come on Dose of Leadership, the podcast. And when I sent out these emails in 2012, when I had this wild idea to have this show, and I sent out 75 plus emails, Jim was one of them, and Jim was the first one to accept. So he's got a special place in my heart. He's been on the show a handful of times, and behind the scenes, he's been a great friend, a great mentor, but I hadn't talked to him for a few years, and we finally reconnected on Zoom, and we were talking about having him come back on the show, and I kind of ran past him. I said, well, what would be cool is we did a roundtable with my Dose of Leadership University members, because that's one of the benefits of joining my university, is you get to interact with guests like Jim Kuzes, and Jim is the best. I mean, the Wall Street Journal calls him one of the top 12 leadership educators in the United States. And it's so true. He's written tons of books with his writing partner, Barry Posner. Probably a must read that you need to have if you don't have it in your library, The Leadership Challenge. It's been out almost 35 years, I believe. It's got to be approaching 3 million in print. I mean, in 2012, I think it was 2.5 million in print. But gosh, that's a book you got to have. And my favorite, The Truth About Leadership, such a gem. That is mandatory reading. I think you have to have that book. Uh, That was the book that got me or introduced me to Jim. And that was the reason why I wanted him on the show. Cause it is, it, I think that is my favorite leadership book. And I know I read, I've read a lot of books. That one still stands out. I think is one of my favorites, if not the favorite, it's so good. And, um, I was excited to have him back on the show and Jim thought it would be good to start the, the conversation is it's, it's, it's totally unscripted. The only thing that we started the conversation with was an idea Jim said, he said, you know, an open-ended question of like looking back at the last 12 to 14 months and all the lessons we've learned going through that crazy year. What, how are you different as a leader? What are the leadership challenges or what, what's different? How, what is, how has it changed you as a leader? And then the second sub part of that question was if you were advising somebody else about what to do different or how to improve or how to kind of deal with those type of situations, what would you tell them? And so that was, those were the open-ended questions that started this conversation. And from there, it was totally unscripted. And so you're going to hear members of my university, you're going to hear Jim, 
it's such a value-packed conversation. And I was so thankful that Jim came on and did this. It was so much fun. So again, this is part of my Dose of Leadership University, what you're going to hear on one aspect of it. So if you are looking to join a community of like-minded leaders, if you're looking to up your game and experience personal professional development with this community of like-minded leaders, and you want to interact with top leadership experts, authors, thought leaders like Jim Kuzes, and you want real-life leadership results, real-world results, then consider joining my university. It's all about becoming the composed force in a chaotic situation. It's all about increasing your self-confidence and belief in others. It's all about becoming a courageous force in the face of fear. It's all about amplifying your capacity for compassion and caring. It's a six-month commitment we take you through to help you become the leader that you were meant to be. Solving real-life leadership challenges and problems that you may be experiencing in your personal life and your professional life. Nothing's off the board. We handle it all because you're going to get encouragement, insight, growth, and accountability for not only me, but my mentors that are in the group that have been with me since the beginning of the university. These are real-life professionals, executives, entrepreneurs, people just like you that are trying to lead a significant life, and they're willing to help you. It's a six-month enrollment, $1,500. It is an investment. But if you want your organization to pay for it, I can help you navigate that. I, I've got experience in that, and I've got some resources that I can help you have that conversation with your organization. And if you get five or more people from the same organization to go attend the university with you, there's a 20% group discount. Again, I've got resources to help you navigate that if you need help navigating that. But it's a great a great way to do professional development within your organization if they are paying for it. So go to doseofleadership.com slash university. You can learn more. You can watch a video. You can look at all the benefits. You can look at all the costs and the features. And you can meet the mentors. I got all their bios up there. I got their picture. You can learn about the people that will be interacting with you. You can see their video testimonials to see how their lives have been changed over the last 14 to 15 months. It's life-changing. And there's nothing else like that out there, particularly because you interact live with some of the guests that I have on my show. No other leadership program does does that at such a personal and intimate level. Nobody does, but we do it here at Dose of Leadership. So go check it out. Hey, thanks for letting me plug that. Helps keep the lights on, if you know what I mean. So I appreciate you considering that. Now let's get on with this great conversation with Jim Kuzes and other members of my Dose of Leadership University here on Dose of Leadership. Here we are, Dose of Leadership Roundtable, special session. We've got a special guest, Jim Kuzes, on the show. Jim, I think this is your third time actually officially being on the show, but uh, like we were talking about in the pre-recording, you've been such an instrumental part of the Dose of Leadership journey, and I just want to welcome you back to the show, my friend. Thank you, Richard. It's a delight. I look forward to this kind of engaging conversation for the next 45 minutes to an hour. And um, as we're recording this, that's getting near the end of April. We're kind of seeing the light of, at least from my perspective, but we're starting to see some positive things. There's the light in the tunnel from the COVID perspective, I think. But man, what a heck of a year it is. You know, we started this, Jim, right at the beginning of COVID. I think our first session was right when COVID was kicking off. And COVID certainly has come up time and time again in our live sessions. But I thought it would be interesting to kind of, I don't know, see where we're at on the back end and, and kind of where we're at. We haven't talked about it for a while, but Joe, I just would kind of like to maybe have you jump in. I know we've talked a little bit about COVID time and time again. You always got something insightful to say, but um, I don't know. What do you want to present to the group? What do you, what, what kind of question can you kick off this kind of roundtable discussion? Yeah, so um, I think it'd be great if we uh, we talked about the observations uh, that people have or lessons that uh, 
uh, individuals have learned about leadership over the last year. So, and if you were to, if you were going to advise another executive on how to lead during a time of extreme adversity, what would you tell that person? Mm. Well, how about you? What do you think, Joe? Where do you think you would, how about you over the last working at sales, working where you work and what lessons? Yeah, I think, um, I think it would be great. Uh, if I was advising someone, I think the two things that I would call out are uh, patience and flexibility. Um, so going into this, I don't think anybody understood uh, how long it was going to last, what it was going to look like. Um, and what I've seen is that it has taken a lot of patience and a lot of flexibility for everybody to adjust to the new way of working together. Um, you know, coming in, there are a lot of uh groups that I work with that didn't think it was possible uh, to work remotely. And we found quickly that we were going to be working remotely. And we achieved some amazing things working remotely. And so uh, that's, you know, one example of uh, where we've had to be flexible. Um, And the model off the bat did not work as smooth as we had hoped. Um, I think we've all had our moments where a Zoom call does not go as well as we think it's going to go for technical reasons or because certain people can't make it. And so um, I think that's where patience comes in. So have to try new things. We have to be patient and we have to be flexible on the journey. You know, Joe, that's a a really great point about patience and flexibility. Uh, And and speaking of, of Zoom calls or working remotely. Uh, I, I'm sure you and everyone on this Zoom call can can uh, recall episodes uh, of, of Zoom meetings where it felt like Saturday Night Live. You know, it was comical and people yes. <laughs> trying to figure out how to make it work. Uh, and, and what that underscores for me is one of the most important lessons we learned in researching leadership, particularly during times of adversity, is that leaders who invest more time in learning and adapting to change are more likely to engage more frequently in exemplary leadership practices. Literally, if you look at the hours spent in learning, you do the research and find how many hours you spend in learning during a a typical week, and then you correlate that with practices of exemplary leadership, you find that individual leaders who spend more time learning end up engaging more frequently in exemplary leadership practices. So along with the patience and flexibility that's required, it's it's learning from those mistakes that naturally happen and the challenges that happen as we are uh, having to be flexible and patient. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And, uh, and I've had to do that personally, just learning new tools, new ways to collaborate with people, where I don't have a whiteboard that I can scribble on with people in a room. And, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. Learning new ways is, has been key to the, uh, to the last year. I'd love to hear what others in the group think. You know, for me, one of the things that has hit and has been really key, um, again, and this is Todd Thompson, um, one of the things that has been key for me is, is trying to maintain a sense of humor. Um, and, and in some cases, it's, it's self-deprecating because if I'm the one that's, that stumbles over the meeting or, or whatever it may be, that, uh, you know, laugh at myself and ha- encourage others to laugh along. Um, that, that has been huge in helping to develop a rapport during these 
trying times because we're all going through some struggles and um, having a good laugh along the way is, is good medicine. So that and um, the other piece that I've really picked up on is um, being intentional. I think being intentional is, um, for me, much more important than being motivated. Kind of describing the difference. If I, if I rely on my motivation, I've got this uh, voice in my head that says, oh, you can put that off till tomorrow. Whereas if I'm intentional and realize, hey, these are things that really need to be done. I'll understand, even if it's a little uncomfortable, that, you know, let's, let's get this done, let's get it knocked out, and let's, let's move on to the next, and let's make sure that, uh, that we can help the whole team succeed, even though I'm not necessarily motivated to get this thing done. So those are, those are big keys for me. It reminds me, Todd, that in your comment about being intentional, that one of the implications is we really have to be clear about what's important to us. And you know, what, what, what are the most important values that we uh, hold and what, what's on our priority list? Uh, otherwise, we just deal with whatever interruption happens, particularly if we have lots of flexibility in how we spend our time or we're distract, we have constant distractions. So that's a really important point. And, and what we found in our research uh, is that leaders who are clear about a philosophy of leadership are significantly more likely to be viewed as effective by their direct reports. For example, uh, just some recent data, we have a 360 called the Leadership Practices Inventory and, and people get, leaders get feedback using that 30 item questionnaire. And we look at how observers respond on a scale of one to 10 in terms of the frequency they observe a leader engaging in certain behaviors uh, and then correlate that with outcome measures like effectiveness and engagement. We find the leaders on the item of clear about a leadership philosophy, values, beliefs about how one leads, uh, go from 3% three, 3 of people seeing a leader effective when that leader rarely talks about their leadership philosophy to 92% when that leader articulates that philosophy very frequently. And so what you point out is how important it is for us to be clear about what is important to us so that we have some guidelines, you know, when, particularly when those same norms or rules aren't present like they are at the physical workplace. Sure, great. Yeah, I was thinking about when he said about the intentionality piece, you're absolutely right, and kind of tying into this priority list and, the, and, then, and then kind of tying into what Joe said about patience is that, in, yes, definitely be intentional, but always asking yourself, what is important here? What are we trying to accomplish? And I think that feeds into the patience piece, right? Because I one of the benefits of kind of getting forced through this kind of pandemic is, right, is is having us assess what is important, right? If you can kind of look at the positive, what, what is important here? Because even just being intentional to your point, Jim, is like, if I, if I don't tie it with my priorities to your point, I heard you say we're just kind of reacting to the noise, right? Is that what, what you're kind of saying, Jim? Yeah. When I have a set of, of values and principles by which I make decisions and, 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 and take action, it helps keep me from getting derailed. If it, you know, just like 
uh, guide rails on a on a freeway, you know, when when we start to veer off course, there's something there that helps us, reminds us that we need to stay between the lines. And uh, values can serve that purpose. Being clear about those principles that should guide us along the way. It's not just a set of rules and regulations. There are too many of those to remember. But if I can remember five to seven things that are important to not only to me as a leader, but to us as a group, that helps us uh, in making decisions, particularly when a lot of those rules that used to be in place aren't there anymore. Right. They're not valid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because because the field but, has changed. But, uh, but the values and principles can be. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're, it's a great litmus test to go, okay, what do I do here? And it feeds into the patients. And if I know what my, if I have alignment and clarity around my values, that's certainly going to feed what the next step is going to be. Certainly. Kevin, you're raising your hand. What, Kevin O, what, what do you got there? Uh, thanks, Jim, for hopping on and, and sharing some insight with us and Richard for putting this together. It's uh, really informative and helpful. Um, you, for me, one thing that I would take away from last year is uh, empathy, um, you know, mm. really understanding that during the tough time uh, that COVID brought for everybody last year, that a lot of people were introduced to a lot of new challenges, be it, you know, having to stay home to, you know, uh, school their children or, you know, family situations where things were tough or work-life balance or, or you know, organizing schedules. So one thing that I definitely took away was just the fact that you have to be you know, understanding of people's situations and really kind of talk to them and make sure everyone's okay. Um, as a leader, it's kind of your responsibility to check in on your team and, you know, lift ones up who, who need to be lifted up and, and kind of support each other. And then in terms of uh, what my recommendations for, you know, executive manager or, or leader would be, would be just communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, you know, when you have a whole team that is uh, struggling with certain things, just continually uh, talking to them and letting them know that things are, go- you know, you have a plan and we're working through things and you understand what everyone's going through and all that it really does help uh, people cope. Excellent point. You know, the, a couple of things, uh, some research on active listening on the part of leaders indicates that those leaders who are viewed by others as uh, listening, at, listening actively and empathetically are 40, viewed as 40% more effective and leaders who don't. So the, the data supports that very much. And the second thing we found, interestingly enough, Kevin, during the time of the pandemic, we readministered a, a, a survey that we've been doing now for 35 years, well, actually about 40 years, called Characteristics of an Admired Leader. And the top two characteristics have stayed very stable the top one being honest and the second one being competent. Those are the two most highly expected characteristics of a leader that people would willingly follow. But two qualities over the period of the pandemic rose significantly in their uh, preference by the respondents. And those two were caring and supportive. People wanted during this last year plus more caring and supportive leaders than they did in the prior to the pandemic. Whether that will remain the same post-pandemic when things get back to uh, a new normal, we'll see. But uh, during this period of time, 
constituents have underscored what you're saying is that we need people who, we need leaders who are going to listen to us, be more empathetic with us, be more superior, uh, supportive of us and caring. Uh, and, and that's not necessarily a skill set that a lot of leaders learn uh, early on. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, but something that we definitely see in our data as an emerging trend. Curious, how does somebody become, um, particularly like in the pandemic, and, and you, Kevin, you talked about the sympathetic and caring and this and that. Anybody got any insight? And Jim, I'd like to hear your from all your research, particularly when you're in, in the throes of it and you're scared too and there's a lot of unknowns and you're trying to take care of yourself and maybe you're not at a place where you can, you're fully taken care of yet, but yet you've got to take care of these other people. How do you... How do you balance that? I mean, because I've always told myself I need to make sure I'm taken care of where I can take care of other people. But sometimes I don't have that luxury. I got to do it simultaneously. You know, I have to change the flat tire while I'm driving down the highway. So I'm curious about that, about how do you, particularly when there's a lot of unknowns and maybe fear is really an ever-present, where the fear and unknown factor is really high, how do you, how do you take care of those around you when maybe you don't even know or maybe you're not even taken care of yet? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, I think it goes back to an early comment from, from Joe about patience. I mean, we just have to be more patient with ourselves. We have to stop uh, and pause for a moment. And we're so action-oriented at work. We're so used to, you know, we get to work. And the first thing we do, grab that cup of coffee and we sit down and we, we just get to work. And we expect everyone to do the same. And your, your experience has probably been the same as mine with Zoom meetings like this that we're having right now, people you know, just brought that same habit to work. And, and what people who have done research on Zoom meetings uh, or Skype meetings or other meetings uh, using this technology is that you need to spend some time when you first get on just getting reacquainted with the people because you don't see them necessarily in that same setting every day and you don't have that connection. And without that, bringing that, that stuff you do around the, 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 the coffee over the morning before you actually sit down at work or uh, the, the times when you get together with people after work aren't there anymore. Uh, and so we need to just pause and remind ourselves that we need those kind of times. And active listening is, is not just about sitting there passively and nodding your head. It really is repeating back to the other person what you hear them saying to make sure that you're understanding them uh, and showing them that you understand where they're coming from, you know, uh, and, and people are definitely having different kinds of experiences. You think of the mom at home who's got kids to look after who are trying to be schooled at home and uh, the dad who uh, is used to driving off to work and and uh, doesn't and is not used to uh, that that work at home scenario and how they're just experiencing some new and different things that they've not experienced before. Uh, so stopping and listening to where what's going on, well, you know, what's going on with you today, you know, how's it been? Just asking that question and, and taking the time to do that. Yeah, that's really and having, as Joe pointed out, the patience to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it always goes back to that being that composed force. I mean, it, it, everything 
goes back to, to being composed in a chaotic situation. I use that term a lot. It probably sounds like a broken record for those that listen to me all the time, but I think it, it everything goes back to having that bearing of being composed, but being authentic. It's not that you're being, I think a lot of parts of that caring to what Kevin was saying is that is, is wrapped in, the, in that authenticity, that transparency, doing what you said there, Jim, of like, because you're right, when we go into that physical space, that brick and mortar space, and we're so used to leaning forward, we're so used to operating. And maybe one of the byproducts of the of doing this, kind of like what we're doing here, is you have to kind of really be intentional about the empathetic side. You really have to work at it, because I don't get the visual cues, because you're only seeing me from my, my neck up or the chest up, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things, Richard, that, and that actually is a great word that I was looking for, being authentic. Um, when it comes to having those honest conversations with people where it really got me through was the fact that what I was telling them or when I listened to them, I was being true to myself. I wasn't just reading off a script. You know, if I believe it and, and I, you know, I'm being honest with them, um, I feel like it goes a long way with building that relationship. And one thing about empathy that I learned, which was really eye-opening for me as a newer leader, is being empathetic doesn't make you weak. Um, oh, it it just not. means yeah. that you are understanding and willing to, to work with somebody and one thing I learned was you can be empathetic with somebody and, and understand, you know, manage a person, you know, manage a team and, and set expectations and, and hold them accountable while still being empathetic. It all kind of works together for, for me. And that was something I took away from last year. And this is, uh, you Kevin, my, my experience with this was, um, first of all, we communicate, 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 but, you know, people look to leaders to, uh, be the calm in the storm to be, have the answers. And last year, you know, sometimes, especially early in a pandemic, there, there were not answers or the answers were changing by the day. And so it it wasn't necessarily uh, intentional on my part at the beginning, sort of stumbled into it where I had to give answers that, and some of my answers were, I don't know, um, we'll find out and reaching out to medical experts and other things. So People want to be communicated with first and foremost. And, and even if you as a leader don't have all the answers in a fast moving environment, it's okay as long as they're hearing from you and as long as you are communicating optimism and calm, we'll get through it. Um, we're figuring it out. And they see you um, that you're human too. <laughs> you don't have all the answers but they see you working to get the answers. And I think those are the types of things that, that helped us as a company get through it. Definitely not retreating. I agree with you, Kevin, it, particularly when we don't know, I think it's a huge confidence booster. And I'm curious what you think, Jim, in your research, but it's, especially when we don't know, I mean, there, I've been in plenty of situations, both on the receiving end and the leader giving the message where I didn't know, and there's a lot of fear involved. And I gained tremendous headway when I said, did what you did, Kevin, was saying, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I'm a little nervous, but I, I'm confident. I'm glad I'm with you guys in this. You know, we're going to figure this out. I don't know how it's yeah. going to play out, but I, I, I'm confident we're going to see this. But I'm scared like you are, but we'll figure this out. I don't, what do you think, Jim? Uh, the data supports that. And we're sort of a three strikes and you're out culture. Uh, when... But, Given that people want competent leaders, they do rely on us for demonstrating that we know how to handle the situation. And so in, in times of adversity, difficulty, challenge, one of the ways 
to demonstrate that, of course, is to show that you are confident that we we shall overcome. And, and one way of doing that is to bring in the past and talk to people about how, you know, remember when we had the last crisis we went through and we kind of went through some similar kinds of challenges in your work and in my work, and we overcame those. We learned the lessons. So we may not know the right answers how to do things, but I'm confident that with your creativity, your ideas, together we'll see this through because we've done it before. So you demonstrate your confidence in other people and your confidence we shall overcome, even though you admit that uh, right now we don't know what we're doing, which brings up another point. I've been asked many times in conversations like this about what my predictions are for post-pandemic. Will people want to work remotely? Will they not want to work remotely? Uh, And what I'm trying to communicate to all leaders is this is one big experiment right now. This is a global experiment. No one really knows what percentage of people will be working remotely, what percentage of people won't, what's the best best, uh, type of job that fits with remote work compared to those that don't fit. Uh, There are all kinds of questions people have about how will things be once we, quote, return back to normal, close quote. And I think that if we treat it as an experiment and say we're trying some things, not all of them are going to work out. But what's most important is that we step back and make sure we learn from those mistakes. Uh, the military calls it after action reviews. You know, let's let's act. And then after we act, let's ask ourselves what worked, what didn't, what can we do better the next time to avoid problems that we had this first time. And if we adopt that attitude as a learner, we're much more likely to see this through successfully. Agree. Stacy, you unmuted. Did you have something you wanted to add there? Yeah. So, um, hi, Jim, I'm Stacy, and I really thank you for being here. I also thank you for your uh, wonderful questions because I'm actually living both of them. Uh, the lessons I've learned as well as having to speak to uh, executives uh, about this topic. So what I've learned in this past year is that from what I'm seeing uh, where I'm currently working, the pandemic and all of what's come along with it have shown us truths that are very hard for people to see, and they're all related to leadership, lack thereof. And it's lack thereof in terms of all of the things that everyone has already spoken of and many more. But the gift of this, Jim, is that I have found the passion to want to teach leaders how to be competent, effective, and motivating leaders in this organization, and I'm working towards making that happen. And what I would say to them, and what I'm going to say soon when I'm given this opportunity at this next uh, juncture, is for leaders to, uh, they need to start being held accountable for uh, the leadership characteristics that make someone a leader. And what I mean by that is, currently they're operating as if they are an individual contributor, They have all of these tasks that should be delegated out to their teams, and they are complaining that they don't have the time to lead their teams. 
But the detrimental piece of that is that they also don't know how to lead their teams, Jim. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to encourage uh, their, their direct reports to grow and be inspired. And from that accountability that I'm hoping to uh, have with the, the leaders in our organization is to then encourage them to allow for more inclusive uh, innovation and creativity because we are losing an enormous amount of talent. We are losing an enormous amount of very, very competent people who are leaving not just the organization, but who are leaving their leaders because they are not leading. Hmm. Stacy, thank you for that observation. I, I would just add to that, that one of the things that, uh, again, we found in our research, a, a couple of things that your comment makes me want to react to. And, and the first of those is that people need to understand that leadership is a set of skills and abilities. It, it is not something you're, you know, I've never met a leader who was not born, you know, so all of us are born. <laughs> it, 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 but the, the skills of leadership are not something we're necessarily born with. Those are things we learn over time. We learn them from look, observing uh, those who do it well, we're, we learn by reading, we learn by participating in classes, we, we, we learn by simply reflecting ourselves on our own experiences. And people don't have the opportunity early on in their careers to learn to lead. According to research that's been done by Jack Zanger and his colleague, as well as others, finds that people who take a, their first formal course in leadership are somewhere between the ages of 38 and 42, which is 10 years generally after they start supervising other people. Now, would you go to a physician who was practicing medicine 10 years before they even got their MD? No, we would not. We wouldn't subject any of us to an accountant or a lawyer or any professional who hadn't learned that profession before they started practicing it. Why is it that we have people supervised by individuals who've never learned to lead? Now, it starts earlier than just when they get to work. It, it should start before they get to work. In fact, the majority of employers, over 80%, expect employees now to learn some kind of, have, have taken some kind of leadership experience by age 21, which means we need to teach more of it in schools uh, from, from high school all the way through college so that people improve their skills. So that's one thing that stimulates. We've got to start earlier in developing the skills and abilities. And the second thing is we have to communicate to people that it is a learned set of behaviors and that they can learn it. When we did some research recently on what percentage of people actually demonstrate no leadership ability, what percentage of people demonstrate none whatsoever. And we took our uh, 360 data and we looked at those who score at the very low end. Guess what percentage of straight, no leadership capability whatsoever. What was it? I'm curious. Yeah. 0.00013%. Demonstrate none. That's, now if you do the math, that's one in one million people. So if you work in an organization that has a million employees, one of them has no leadership ability. Now, you may 
say to yourself, well, I know who that one in one million is myself. I've met that person. <laughs> but the, that's what the data tells us. 99.99987% of people show some leadership ability. So with knowing that, we then need to say to them, if you want to improve and do better at leading, here are some experiences that you can take to learn to lead. And, but we need to communicate to individuals that not, more than likely, the probability is you already are doing some leading somewhere. And what we need you to do is to do that more frequently. And let's engage you in some learning opportunities. You know, it strikes me. I think reason reason why people it goes back to that thing of of we put so much emphasis on the talent side of success that you know you're celebrated for the, your technical or tactical expertise, and that makes sense because that's visible, and you see that, and we think that's what generates the success. And to your point, Jim, that's why people get put in leadership positions is because they were the best salesperson or whatever. And it makes sense to make this person the leader of the sales staff. I mean, that's a trap we fall into. Mm -hmm. And we are surprised and shocked when this top salesperson is driving people out of the sales force because they don't know what to do, right? They don't, they haven't been taught those skills. Which always surprised. Uh, Go ahead, Richard. It's kind of back to back to Stacy's comment and yours. Now, what, an, another barrier to people. Stacy made the comment that people uh, say, "I don't have time to lead." Uh, that's to me. That's like a physician saying, "Well, I don't have time to practice medicine, even though I have patients coming in expecting me to." It doesn't make any sense. Uh, so why are they saying that about themselves? We've talked about a couple of reasons, but I think there's another reason that says people don't see themselves as a leader. They see themselves, as you pointed out, as an individual contributor. I'm an engineer. I'm an accountant. I'm a pilot. Uh, that's what I am. I'm not a leader. And we have to help people identify with the whole idea of being a leader and what that's about and seeing themselves uh, that way, one one little story. Um, got an email a few years back from a woman named Jane Blake. That's actually not her real name. That's a fictional name. Uh, she allowed us to tell her story, but we she asked if we not use her name. But Jane wrote to us and said, uh, "I'm now in a course, leadership de uh, development leadership course in a master's program. I have." Uh, uh, two bachelor's degrees. I'm now studying for my master's degree. And in that class, there's some military, uh, military officers, some government officials, uh, and some uh, corporate executives. But I'm just, and I'm quoting her, I'm only a mother, grandmother, and coal miner's daughter. That was how she identified herself. But then she said, now that I'm participating in this class on leadership and learning about leadership, I now believe that I, too, can become a more effective leader. And it's that, that transition people have to make from, from seeing themselves in a, a different kind of a role and then identifying 
that they too can become a leader. So I think moving out of that space of seeing oneself as only an engineer or only an accountant or only a technician or whatever mother, grandmother, coal miner's daughter to I too am a leader is an important transition we have to help people make. Yeah, well said. We also have some thoughts on what we've, we've talked about. Elizabeth, if you always have something insightful to say. What you got any thoughts? Well, it's reminding me of the conversation we had when Dissel Leadership Universities first started almost a year ago, and you had Amy Edmondson on, and we talked about psychological safety. And I just think about how critically important that has come for organizations and leaders over the last year, even more so in this largely virtual environment that we've found ourselves in over the last 13 months or so. And the the comments that Joe offered earlier about patience and flexibility, I was going to add authenticity and vulnerability to that list. And Todd mentioned humor, um, and I would add humility to the the list of, you know, what have we learned and how can we be better leaders? But um, I really think practicing that vulnerability, you know, as Kevin mentioned, we may not have to have all the answers, but being honest about that and being forthright and saying, we'll figure it out together so that folks feel safe to come forward with concerns, with ideas, with opportunities, um, I think is really important. Absolutely, Elizabeth, you know, uh, Amy's work is groundbreaking and and many, many, many people in the academic community use her researches and and, and the applied side of that too. Uh, And, you know, fundamental to that is, as you say, people feel when they're psychologically safe, that if I make a mistake, if I don't know what I'm doing, I can, I know that I can admit that to other people and that they will help me to learn. They will be there for me. They have my back. Yeah, you need to get rid of that fear in the organization. And it reminds me of the Gallup research, the four things that employees need from a leader, trust, compassion, stability, and hope. And I think we have we have seen all four of those <laughs> very up close and personal over the last year. Absolutely. I'm curious, Brian, up there in the you know probably different for you because probably less is it. You're in a manufacturing facility. I mean, you have to manufacture right. things. Um, right. I, I, what differences or what can you add to this conversation? Because your experience was probably a lot different, less Zoom and more we're still face-to-face even though we're in the middle of this. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Dur- during the whole COVID uh, meltdown last year, uh, I never went remote. Our factory never shut down. We were deemed essential. So we constantly had to, however, recreate our processes and, and critical thinking became uh, more of a norm because we would lose people for a week or for two weeks maybe some, some valuable people that had some skills. Uh, so we had to be creative on, on still keeping the manufacturing lines open because if any of you have ever worked for the automotive industry or with those guys, they have zero tolerance, zero forgiveness. So for, for not hitting schedules. So we had to get creative that, that compassion piece. So people were out for a couple of weeks or people were out taking care of their kids or family members, um, it just became a, uh, 
and more the the compassion and the creative thinking side of it. And it made us stronger, showed us where we were weak. So we got a lot of cross training in and um, it made us actually stronger coming out, coming out of this side than, uh, than we were going in. Which is what so adversity, it was a big difference. Yeah, which is what adversity does, right? It make, on the other correct, end, it correct. Makes you, makes you we talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, Brian. That that's one of the things I think we don't acknowledge as much about the the pandemic and what has happened. I mean, if you, if you look at just the vaccine development, mm-hmm. look what was done in such a short period of time. Right. right. Uh, if people if people have a clear goal. And they work together to make it happen. And they have the resources to make it happen. Wow, we can do things a lot faster. And if we get certain kinds of regulations out of the way, so, you know, things that, you know, won't harm us, uh, but can slow us down uh, and and figure out new ways of doing things. Wow, what we we can make happen. It, it, It was really a demonstration of how resilient we are and how creative and uh, we are and what we can do when required. Uh, so hopefully we'll bring some of that back into the workplace. And and one other point, we talk a lot about remote work, but there are 60% of employees who cannot work remotely. Uh, remote work continuing on into the future. We're not talking about a majority of workers. We're talking about 40%. And of those 40%, not all of the 40% want to stay remote. So we have to keep that in mind as we make this transition. Has anybody seen, and Jim, do you know on, on the circles that you are in, a psychological burnout factor or people, I mean, are we fed up with the Zoom? We thought you know, initially, hey, this is working great. Or we, to me, the human contact piece is a huge psychological m- minus, you know, take the economics out of it. Yeah, certainly this is more economical and we can get things done, but. I think there's a huge psychological element to interactions, not only for psychological health and psychological safety, but, you know, I just think for general, just general business and human human contact and form, I mean, I feel like, and I see it from the pilot aspect, I see people chomping at the bit to just go and to get, and they take that, you know, you can see that even in the business that I'm in. People will get on these planes because they'll take that risk because they just got to go or they got to connect somehow. And and when mm-hmm. I ask the people on the planes, it's like, why are you taking this trip? I got to see my grandma. I got to connect. I got to be. Mm-hmm. I got to meet. I got to see face to face. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Just from the psychological aspect of it. I think people are chomping at the bit. Just curious what you thought. So I completely agree. Uh, in whatever research we're looking at right now, people want to have more human contact than they do right now. Working remotely is in some ways a different question. It is for some people, it's about flexibility and more flexibility in their schedules. And people, uh, it's for some other people, it's a sense of control over my own life. You know, if I can choose whether to go into an office or into a workplace or not, that gives me some flexibility. So I think we're going to have to adapt schedules to uh, this new attitude people are having about work. I, gee, I don't have to be in one particular place to get things done. Of course, if you're in a manufacturing facility like Ryan is, there, that, that, that's another set of rules. But 
for those who haven't been to an office and haven't been seeing each other, there's a strong desire to return, but not in the same way. And we're going to have to figure out what is that best way uh, to return. Yeah, interesting. What about you, Paul? You always have something relevant to say. Yeah, so um, what everybody's said so far, what I've heard up to this point is really resonated uh, to me and those are the things that ring true uh, in what I've seen uh, over the last year. Uh, maybe one thing I could add to that would be, um, you know, I've seen some really great um, leadership uh, in the, you know, when communicating um, the vision or, or, you know, trying to keep people updated and in and, and, and the know is really emphasizing, um, you know, along with um, the current constraints and the shift in dynamics, there's always that opportunity, um, you know, to um, really reinforce the idea that, you know, this adversity is going to help us grow and, and be better skilled and better equipped for not only the current moment, but moving into the future, but also to, to be poised well, right? To have yourself positioned to say, um, within all this disruption, there's, there's new opportunity for us to have, and, and we would do well uh, to keep our eyes open for that. I love that, Jim. You know, to, to Paul's point, I think all the great leaders do that, right? They see these these kind of moments as yes, we we recognize the adversity, the challenges, the fear, and all that. But as we start getting our sea legs back, we start eyeing towards the opportunities that you know the, the positive side of this, right? And that's what I'm always I'm always looking for those leaders that do that. And I think that is an obligation that we have is that we need to kind of shift our eyeballs and our minds and our hearts to, towards those opportunities. What do you think? Uh, it really is about turning adversity into opportunity uh, and looking at the adversity we face. And what I think what's important about this discussion that we're having is, uh, and, and I think we should have these discussions as we transition out of this, is what did we learn from this experience? We all went through a common adversity globally. There isn't one person that what in the world who wasn't touched by this. What have we learned? Let's not let's let's take advantage of this opportunity. Let's let's look at what it is that we learned and how we can take those positive lessons into the future and prepare ourselves for the next time we face adversity by making sure we don't repeat some of the mistakes we made. Uh, that would be a, a, a tremendously valuable outcome from this experience. Let's not miss a great, a great challenge uh, and, and simply say, okay, now we're back to normal. Right. Uh, yeah. A, a colleague of mine was saying, people are talking about getting back to normal as if we're going to return to 2019. Not possible. <laughs> That's not possible. Right. You know, we're in 2021 now and, uh, we have to have learned something from these experiences. So let, let's see if we can have some discussions about it and, and carry forward with some of the positive things and, and learn from the mistakes we made. You know, you brought up that how fast that, that vaccine came out. And, you know, it kind of gets lost in the, in the noise, but it did kind of remind me of what we're capable of. It kind of is kind of like a, 
a going to the moon event if you look at the decade of the 60s the yeah. impossible right it is it is of that kind of of um stature if it's the right if that's yeah. the right word right it really does kind of remind me of, and then and we should be celebrating that i think we should be and part of our job as leaders is to get people excited about these new opportunities that are ahead of us instead of longing for the past and how things used to be talk about what's the exciting possibilities that exist for the future and 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 how you know using the vaccine as an example look at what we were able to do globally as a result of uh, of this work collaboration that took place uh, and the innovation that took place. Let's apply that in our own workspace. Where can we innovate faster? Where can we work together to make extraordinary things happen? Yeah, I like that a lot. Well, we're getting close to the end here. I'm, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but... Um... I'm going to open up. I haven't heard from everybody. Manju, anything that you want to kind of add to the equation? What, what about you? Yeah, um, the, what I wanted to, like uh, one thing, from the, like we all learn many things. One thing, as uh, Jim mentioned, is like we all need to ch- change from a, a know-it-all mindset to a learn-it-all mindset mm. because this pandemic is giving us, kind of challenging us to learn and use it as an opportunity. I mean, my 84-year-old dad, he never used a smartphone. We were able to have weekly Zoom call. He learned how to use Zoom. So that's what I tell people. <laughs> yeah. We all, you know, as a, an example, like, you know, we all can learn something new. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah, you're never too old to learn. Yeah. And I think that's... When that's... you stop learning, you stop... When you stop learning, you stop living. Yeah. That is that is the the fuel for living, right? I mean, that really Absolutely. is the the emotional rocket fuel is is a humble, teachable spirit. I really do believe that. I think that's what what we, sh- you know, you couple that with this kind of belief in the impossible and with the humble, teachable spirit. That's a great place to be. It really is. And that's- you know, uh, one of the things, Richard, I, you probably would agree with. It's one of the reasons I I love doing what I do, is because I love learning. Yeah. Uh, constantly learning. It brings me great joy from these experiences. And learning from all of you on this Zoom call has been terrific. Thank you all for sharing your lessons with me. I really appreciate it. Well, Jim, we want to thank you for for being here. I know I'm a better person. Every time I meet with these people, uh, I I walk away feeling uh, emotionally charged. Uh, The fuel tank is, is filled and I appreciate them, and I and it just makes it even that much more special that you were you were with us to 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 join us, Jim. Has anybody want us as we get ready to wrap up? Does anybody pressing anything they want to say to Jim before before we sign off and and close out this wonderful session? I would just love to hear from Jim, I and mean, we all shared sort of what our insights were over the last year. But Jim, with your incredible career and research and knowledge. What's your elevator speech of, of advice and guidance for us? Well, we, th- thank you, Elizabeth, for, for asking me that question. I think I would just repeat myself that for me, what this has taught me is how capable we all are of overcoming adversity and difficulty when we put our hearts and minds to it, when we collaborate with each other. And I think if 
if there's another lesson I would just repeat, it's probably the most important lesson I've learned about leadership over all the years is we can't do it alone. There's all of these problems we're now facing are huge, huge problems. But the pandemic has taught me that if we apply ourselves to solving a particular problem, we definitely can, but it's gonna require all of us working together collaboratively in a spirit of community, in a sense of hope for the, that the future will be better than, than it is today, that tomorrow we can create new opportunities for all of us to excel, to, to bring uh, more joy to our lives and to the lives of our children. Uh, if we can begin to work together toward that end, uh, that, that, that's, that's, I see us as, see the capability there. I just hope we can carry that forward into the future. Amen to that. I think that's a great stopping point. I can't, I don't think we can top that. So Jim, thank you for your, your time. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your mentorship. And thank you for taking your Thursday evening to, to spend time with us. I know we're better off for it. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank, thank you, Richard. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate it. Have a good rest of your evening. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.